Y'all, welcome back. Uh, super excited. Got Vance and Eric with me again, the two wheels of this bicycle built for four, as we interview longtime friend of ours, uh, Ashley Adams, and her years spent living abroad, as well as her thoughts on modern life and just, you know, kind of, you know, life in general since she's moved back to, to Merca. Uh, before we start, though, I do want to get serious just, just for one second. Vance and Eric probably should talk to you about this off air, but last week, Grant Brooke dubbed our show quote, America's least favorite podcast. <laughs> and I just want to say, guys, I think if we really get serious, if we really buckle down, I think we can grow to be the world's least favorite podcast. Are you guys down? You with me on this one? Yeah, I think we can annoy enough people across the entire global spectrum to get there. I think we're capable of that. Perfect. You know what? You know what I'd say? What does that guy know? He's never done it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, is, what does Grant Burke know about the rest yeah. of the world that we don't? Fuck Resume, it. Grant. <laughs> Resume. Scoreboard, <laughs> Grant. All right. So in order to get a more global uh, footprint, we do have on Ashley Adams. Uh, Ashley, so you spent how many years in France? Three. Three years. Love it. And right right now, where are you? You have moved back to the States? I am back in Austin, Texas, uh, where I'm from. So yeah, happy to be back home. Texas. So what, I mean, what even prompted you to go to France? Why Why did you, I mean, because you were there three years. That's not an accident. What, what was that about? So I had an expat assignment through work. That's the simple answer. A um, little more long-winded. I uh, went to UT after uh, we, you know, all graduated from Hyde Park together, went on to UT. Hey. Um, and by the way, before I get into this, I've listened to the last like four or five of these. And I just want to no, but mushy moment. I love that this just so much reminds me. It takes me back to like our AIM conversations from seventh oh, and eighth grade man. and the inordinate amount of time that we spent talking to each other. And now to like hear everybody is fully realized adults is just like the coolest thing ever. And it kind of feels like family. So I'm very, oh, very excited yeah. to be honest. Um, yeah. So anyway, so I went to UT. I studied radio, television, film. That's a whole nother topic of life. Um, fellow podcaster and Hyde Park alum, Dylan Ellis, and I both were RTF. Shout um, out. Shout out to Dylan. And uh, I was working in the film industry, like professionally, freelance stuff. Uh, I, I did my degree in producing um, for about a year and a half. And uh, essentially, you know, it, it got to a point where the, the industry was kind of drying up in Austin and Ultimately, I would have had to make the move to L.A. Um, if I wanted to kind of keep that going. And uh, what happened was I, I needed a job in between jobs. So I went to a staffing agency. I applied for what I thought would be a short term HR admin position and ended up uh, at the company that moved me to France. I, I spent eight and a half years working for that company. So complete and total uh, career change uh, that just, you know, I was you know, changed my whole life. So That's it, is wild. A, it is a French company. Um, they're based out of Paris. So the day I started, I'll never forget the HR lady was saying like, Oh, here's, you know, what we do, blah, blah. It's, it's an IT security company, cybersecurity. And um, yeah, I just thought immediately when she said that they were based out of Paris, I thought I'm going to, I'm going to parlay this and, into getting there somehow. <laughs> Dang. So you worked cybersecurity in a different country with yeah. a with, with a uh like like film and media degree 
Yeah. Yeah. That's unique. It's the millennial thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, I mean, you know, so I, you know, I started there as an HR admin. I, somebody, you know, my boss at the time was a mentor to me and changed my whole life by, got you know, got me into IT trainings and, you know, I took certifications and that kind of thing. and basically became a project manager and, uh, I spent four years in Austin working there. They they invented the SIM card, by the way. So that's kind of their claim to fame. Um, and very business to business, so not well known stateside, but is kind of a, a more of a household name in France and in Europe. It's, it would be like a Dell or an IBM or whatever. Um, but I was getting a little antsy because I had spent four years in Austin and built up my resume and was thinking about going elsewhere. And then my boss said, hold on, there's two positions uh, available and, and we'd like to move you to Paris if you want one of them. So, and I was like, and the answer is yes. Yes, I do. You hear that, Grant? You hear that, Grant? Invented the SIM card. <laughs> All right? So, yeah. Boom. Yeah. All trust in my ass. <laughs> yeah. Hey, SIM Boom. card has helped everybody. Anybody with a phone. How many people? Grant got a SIM card in that. that, that no, yeah, he Grant didn't. Needed them. He literally didn't. He didn't have a SIM card. Oh, that's right. Come on. Grant wins again. It's so good. Oh. No, actually, we got. Uh, I, I've been. I only. I told you on purpose to try not to use like an Apple product because the thing we're podcasting on just doesn't like Apple. The point is, anyways, I didn't tell Grant that, and we were all ready to go, and all he had was Apple stuff, and so he had to get like his Samsung two from like two thousand six. He's like, I think I have one in my bag, and it didn't even have a SIM card. So he wins again. Okay. <laughs> so uh, before we, I can't believe he beat us. Anyways, before we get into uh, kind of more serious stuff, at least aiming that direction, I do want to ask. How did you end up working with long or not working with, sorry, I guess just hanging out with or partying with uh, Vance's longtime crush, Uma Thurman? Oh, gosh. Um, this is a good story. So I kind of coll- collision of two worlds again. My one of my best girlfriend from RTF uh, did go up, go out to Los Angeles and is um, an amazingly talented, very successful agent in L.A., and uh, I was a bridesmaid in her wedding. We've made, you know, remained close since graduation. And uh, she goes out to Cannes every year, obviously, for the festival. Nice. Uh, so, of course, I'm living over there. She was like, okay, I think uh, it would definitely be okay if you took the train down. And she was like, I'm going to be working and moving around, but I'll see what I can, you know, kind of get you into and just come hang out. I was like, um, of course. So I uh, went down there, visited her. She had like a lot of work meetings and I hung out on the beach and walked around and it's obviously just South France and beautiful. Um, and then one night she uh, invited me to one of her work dinners. They were kind of being more casual and the film that they were, uh, her agency was producing starred Jake Gyllenhaal um, and they had a private yacht parked in the marina and Basically, we were invited to join for a little hangout. And it was like me, my friend, a couple other industry people, Jake Gyllenhaal, and then Uma Thurman walks in because I guess they're friends. And the best part about it is she walks on to this boat and she's absolutely stunningly gorgeous. She's wearing probably 50 million euros of uh, diamonds around her neck. She just walked the red carpet wearing like Bulgari. And uh, she just she walks up to me and she's like, "Hi, I'm Uma." Sticks out her hand and shakes shakes my hands. Hi, I'm, I'm Ashley. <laughs> I get, all I can think is Kill Bill and everything else. Yeah, it's just yeah. incredible. How tall was she? Was she like way taller than you thought, or was she? She's very tall. Like I think she's probably close to six feet tall. 
Yeah. She's she would dwarf me. Was she more striking in person than you imagined she was, like on film? Um, she has a strikingly beautiful face. Yeah, but I, I actually think that she kind of matches like what you what you would what you would assume. Hmm. That's freaking awesome. Yeah, I yeah. Closest Wait, I've what was the Jungle movie? movie. Yeah, uh, yeah. It Oak was the uh, yeah. The Roger oh, no movie. Yeah. Yep. So cool. same director that uh, won for Parasite this last year. Yeah. Very good. Really good. That movie yeah. Was awesome. That's freaking awesome. All right. So kind of, I mean, the closest I've been to a celebrity is like, I saw Ja Rule in a diner one time and I yelled at him and I kept walking. Did that's... you do it in the Ja Rule voice? Yeah, uh, did I do it, sir? Yeah. Did I do it? <laughs> yeah. 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 Literally, literally. Like, all right. I love that. It's so, I think, I forget who I was with. I think it was with Sarah. I embarrassed everyone I was with, but it didn't matter. Point is, I've never been that close to celebrities, but that's dope. Okay. So. Just in general, because Vance, I know you and, and Eric, I know you recently went to Greece. Just the idea of culture shock when any of the three of you got overseas and you're first kind of just walking around, taking it all in. Like, what was the first thing that you like noticed? It was like, wow, this is so different. Or like, this is so, you know, weird or whatever, you know? Well, I want to know what Ashley, like, like, because you're going to live there. That's a lot different. Cool. Totally different psychology. I would imagine yeah. going over there for that reason. I think the biggest culture shock, I, I'll preface it by saying I was ridiculously excited to go. This is something that I had semi dreamed of wanting to do my whole life. So getting the opportunity to do it, I just like went in with open arms. And um, one of my best friends over there uh, was from Sweden. She and I were colleagues and we'd met a couple times prior. And um, I think she almost had more of a culture shock than I did in a way because she was constantly comparing they're two European similar countries, right? So there, she was kind of constantly comparing Sweden to France. Whereas I felt like I was just going in with a blank slate, like anything they've got to throw at me, I'm excited to, you know, accept. Um, but one of the things that kind of sticks out is, and it's just funny is I was hanging out with friends and it was very early on when I moved and we were going from one restaurant to another and I, you know, looked it up on our phones, like how long, it was probably like a mile and a half or something. I was like, Oh, so we get an Uber, right? They're like, no, we're definitely walking. <laughs> and, and so just thinking about like, Oh yeah, you can get places by moving your legs. That, that actually works. Yeah. We don't. We don't do that here. We don't do that. I'm not. Um, edit that out. I'm gonna. Yeah. I'm gonna. Well, <laughs> what, what we're gonna edit is you mean you enjoy getting on a hoverboard and that's how you go down the street. Yeah, is what yeah. I heard. As America's or, most conservative podcast, I don't. Think number one. Yeah. Number one. <laughs> number one. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> I um, forgot about that. I also think the the customer service thing stands out. That's probably a good one. Like the way that we see customer service in the U.S. is wildly different from France. You are not. The customer is not the right person in this transaction in France. And I think a lot of it has to do with, especially if you're talking about like in a restaurant waiters, these people are paid a decent salary. They have a working living wage and are, you know, taken care of by um, benefits with healthcare and whatever. So they're not trying to turn tables over and win your tips and service. They're, they're as good a waiter as they want to be. Um, which I think is kind of great because it offers you the ability to um, enjoy your meal. Like they're not trying to kick you out, but at the same time, people often talk about that in Paris specifically. Um, you know, they, they think that they're being ignored, but actually the waiters are just kind of trying to give you your space a little bit. Like if you wanted to order a two euro coffee, 
that's why their cafe culture is so amazing, right? If you wanted to order a two euro coffee and literally sit there for six hours, you could, and nobody would be mad at you for doing it. They're not trying to rush you out because they got to make more tips because I got to get more tables in because my shift, it's all of that. Exactly. I when, I, when I was in Spain, I studied abroad in Spain uh, in college for like a year. And yeah, that was, I was like, what, what is, they're very, I was like, oh my God. I was very, I was terrified. Like every time I'd order, cause they'd just be like, they'd come over, they'd just be like, demon, like, give it to me. Like what yeah. do you want? And yes. Go. Uh, Oh, shit. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get the Spanish wrong. Like, oh, my God. And then they're like, hurry up. Or like, it was like, like, like oh, my God. Yeah, it was, it was, it's a lot different. I didn't even attempt to, because I studied yeah, abroad Amsterdam, in the Netherlands. Yeah. I didn't even attempt. Well, not Amsterdam, uh, Maastricht, slightly different. Doesn't oh, have Maastricht, prostitution. Yeah, yeah. Same laws, but no whores. Um, uh. You can't, uh, you, <laughs> I tried to learn Dutch, but I just, you can't, I That's can't get the inflection. First of all, America first. We all, we, <laughs> we speak. You, we speak. What you need are U, S, and A, Joe. That's it, sir. Yeah. And, and freedom fries. Do y'all have, do y'all have the freedom? Anyways, I literally, oh, day, day like three there or whatever, because like the you know, we were eating in our dorms or whatever. We finally like venture out and like have like real lunches or something. And I'm inebriated because I'm drinking constantly because I'm 20 and I've never been in a bar. And why wouldn't I? I'm drinking all. So I am quite inebriated. And I literally asked the waiter, I was like, "Hey man, can I get an English menu?" And he just snaps, like just funny, just quick witted. I'm clearly not the first person that's asked him. He just goes, "All right, so then when I come visit you, you'll have a Dutch menu, right?" And I'm like, "Oh yeah, see, we don't even know what Dutch is." Well, sir, I have, have a menu for you. I have Google Translate on my phone. You can just run it through there. <laughs> no, this was. This was 2006, dog. I had a flip phone. Oh, I didn't. I didn't yeah. have nothing. There was that wasn't happening. iPhone that, one wasn't even out. No, there, there was no. Yeah, that wasn't that wasn't no. happening at all. Like there was no translate. But yeah, I mean, I guess you could type it in and translate on Google, but we all know how bad that works out. I have a tattoo proving that. Moving on. <laughs> First thing, when y'all got back to the good old US of A. Did, did you have any reverse culture shock? Because as I recall, actually, I was kind of more like you. When I first got there, I was just like, look, I don't, whatever you got, I'm down. But when I got back to America, it was like, oh, I forgot we were like this. I forgot we were, you know, the hustle bustle, all that. Did. What was the first thing that y'all noticed, you know, when you got back? I think for me, um, I mean, it's just like depressing, just how beautiful everything is in France specifically. I mean, the window displays, even the grocery stores, the way they lay out fruits and vegetables. I mean, the buildings and the architecture, that's super obvious. But I mean, it's just it's like stimulation overload, how incredibly beautiful that city is. Um, so then moving back and you kind of see like the concrete strip malls and everything. Yep. It's yep. like, oh, God. Um this is all still here. I kind of forgot. I, I know that. I know that feeling exactly. Yeah, I would say that's probably the biggest one. I mean, even the like, even the vegetable displays, like on the little carts and stuff. Yeah, is, is like yes. insane. And all of Europe, everywhere I've been in Europe, it's like, oh my god, I want that apple so bad. <laughs> yes. like, yeah. give me that apple right now. And part it's of it is that it's hard. been that yeah. way forever and ever too. Like. Yeah. One of the things that strikes you when you get there is how old these cultures are and how ingrained they are and sort of you can sort of feel that history everywhere you go. And so I can I can imagine especially coming back to Austin too which is ever changing all mm -hmm. the time. Yeah. So I can imagine that just being like, "Well, well this is cool. Cool. They've built all the way up to Round Rock now. Awesome." No, wow. dude, that's, a, that's I hadn't cool. thought of that, dude, because we just said we have the space to grow and be, whereas they, they they when I say they, I mean human beings us while we're anyways 
it feels like the culture is more of a living culture and every day is more of almost like yes. a performance piece in a, in a sense. It's, there's more artistic value to just like the displays of, cause I remember the fresh bread. Oh my God. Like I'm a carboholic anyways, oh, but like man. you just walk by and I was like, well, I'm getting more of that than I need. I don't even care. Just it, like that's, whereas here, you know, it's just kind of, I mean, it's fine. You know, it, here is more function. Whereas there, everything has an air of fashion to it. And don't even get me started on the food. I mean, it's yeah, oh, food. That no, that's whole... actually that's my next question. Um, oh, okay. So that's so we're getting started on food. What on like a on like a general like on like a Tuesday for me? Wait, hold on, you're in Paris, right? Yes, Paris. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Go ahead. On like a, like on like a Tuesday where I don't really care what's for lunch. Like I'll go to McDonald's or whatever. You know what I mean? Like what's a what's a I don't want to say bottom barrel, but what's like a just like a mediocre meal there like you know what i mean is that like mm-hmm. is I, i'm wording this poorly you know what i mean what's like no, an I get it. meal? not like a stunning but just like what's like a normal day-to-day um there's a pretty kind of set french menu that you can find at basically every you know little brasserie they pretty much serve um like breakfast is is the croissant and coffee thing for sure so um people usually grab that on their way to work in the office most all offices have a cafeteria, what they call a canteen. Uh, so you are, you're served, you know, that's a part of your, your working culture. Um, if you, if you're just on the street or whatever, there's, it's like a usually a piece of chicken and salad. There's the infamous croque monsieur, um, a duck confit. Um, I know what a duck is. What was the one before that? Oh, uh, had that? oh my God. Monsieur. Those things. What? I've never even heard this term. It's a very fancy um, ham and cheese sandwich, but it's it's bread with ha- ham in the in the middle, and then it's all toasted, and the the Gruyere or the Swiss cheese is melted on top. On top. And, if, and if you get a croque madame, then they put a fried egg on top, which is That's even better. Incredible. And it, the whole thing, to, and if it's real French bread, which is just the best bread you've ever had in your entire life, with you know, a good egg and, and the, like the really authentic Gruyere cheese. I mean, it just melts in your mouth and it's amazing. And, and like that cheese, that crispy cheese yeah. on top is like, yes. gets that oh. bubble, that brown. Yeah. Joe, I had never heard yes. of this until I went to Paris in 2010 with my family. And I remember like half my meals and my mom tries to make these sandwiches all the time because she's <laughs> just, out. I just want that all over. I, so. Yeah. All right. So you, as you're holding it, you're faint, like the, what's the top layer is cheese. Your fingers are like on mm. So it's so it's kind of like like the KFC double decker. Oh my god, is on the out. That's no, that's we're the same. fridged. We're not. We're same. not knife and fork. Knife and fork. Oh, oh, you're serious? Yeah. It's, you're it's really- not. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. The whole thing is like hot and melty and falling apart almost Which in is, the best way. But- Actually, Much Joe's like the double decker. Yeah. Very yeah. simple point. No, yeah, this is a true story. I forgot about this. this is a true story. I was uh hung over as a mug in a German train station and they had a McDonald's or whatever the word they say over there for McDonald's. It's such good German like food in the train stations. Hungover. Keyword. Keyword. <laughs> I saw, saw a thing I recognized and went, need that. I walked <laughs> over and I was like, hey man, I need two double cheeseburgers. And the guy looked back to me. He was like, "You want two, two cheese? Two cheeseburgers?" I was like, "Yeah, two, but two doubles." And they don't have doubles, y'all. The look on this poor bastard's face as he's processing like, "You Americans eat what now? Yeah, you eat not one double, but you eat you eat two of them at a time." 
that's what, you, and I'm just like confirming everything. Like, yeah, will you do it? He's like, no. Yeah, and they're I got, I got, I got four hamburgers and walked away. It's fine. Yeah, Don't worry. He like, <laughs> he like gives you like the the address of the nearest like free healthcare clinic. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, sir, you should. Sir, do you have diabetes or you you want diabetes? I don't. What are we? What are we? And I was just like, yeah, man, give it to me. Just, uh, just give it to me. While we're on food, you never went to Le Camis. Do you know what that is, Le Camis, the restaurant? Okay. Is that, that was in my Texas? No, it's in it's in Paris. It's my favorite restaurant. Like one of my favorite meals I've ever had in my entire life was there. Really? Do you know where do you have any idea where where in Paris it is? It was let's see. By I don't the Eiffel Tower. So here's the map of Paris, right? Yes, okay, keep right. going. Right here. So okay, like so Mont- I, there's the Rome. It's like Montmartre. Oh, so sorry, the yes. gay district, like right here. Where's the gay date? La Marais. La Marais. Yeah, it's right here. It's like right over here. Which is such a stereotype. It's just like the gay district. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a lot of like gay flags. That's where we're staying. Yes, time, yes, yes. You know? it's, a, it's a beautiful, very popular, like super up and coming. Not even up and coming. It's been cool for a while. But um, okay, yeah, probably not mine. So random left turn then. I wasn't planning. Oh, go ahead. Sorry if you had more on that. Oh, and then I have another. I was going to think of another restaurant, but actually I just forgot it. But I want to ask now. I want to see if I can think of it. We can wait. While you're thinking of it, while you're thinking of it, I was thinking about food in terms of just how non-genetically modified it is and how pure and amazing it is. And talking about, I don't know if this classifies as culture shock, but if you go to the store, which again, I, where my apartment was, there's a grocery store, like walking distance by, I'm talking one minute and 30 seconds. Where was your apartment? Um, Saint-Germain-de-Pré in the sixth. So right San, right, San, right. Mandalay. Yeah. Nailed Got it. it. Got it. Um, if you go, so I, I love the fact that you buy your food daily, if not, you know, every two or three days max, um, because the store is just right there and everything is so incredibly fresh. If you were to buy in bulk apples or tomatoes or whatever, I mean, these things go completely bad trash can in 48 hours, probably. So, you, you know, it's it's real food that has not been transported from some faraway place um, and you can taste it. And I mean, for that, I mean, I, I think it contributes to uh, French people being typically like more fit and small, like the food is just not probably injected with all these hormones and things. So that's yeah. that's something I miss for sure. That and they walk to the store like that. Yeah. That was something I remember doing. Like the, the idea that it was a, a daily, maybe by you know a, a couple of days, whatever. But sure, not a weekly shop blew my mind. Like that, I just wasn't ready. Like you know, I was ready to buy like a whole bunch of things of ramen, and like that's how you did what. And that's not at all. <laughs> but see, as a as an America first conservative <laughs> podcast, sure. I want to shout. Out, I want to shout out to Costco. Thanks for keeping <laughs> America Actually, running. You know, we I- buy twenty apples at a time, but that's mostly because my kids will and take the advice and throw it away. So, like, it, it, we actually do burn through. And they're like hermetically sealed in like this plastic. Oh yeah. Right oh, and there. you can smell the chemicals. Hell on them. A, yeah. That's America. You America. can smell it. That's our tagline. America. You can smell it on our food. Yeah. It, does, it does taste better too. Like the, like I would sometimes buy like whenever I'd see that like 
man, their their food displays, like I oh, would always yeah. like want like whatever they had. It was like I'd buy some grapes, I'd just eat them and be like, just these are the best grapes I've ever Dude. had in my life. Dude, totally. just smash blueberries. Blueberries were like on the go foods. Like we just buy a small of it, and that was just oh. like walking, just throwing back blue. Like that was just be, they, but again, a walking, but b fruit. It wasn't like I, I didn't have yeah. like, you know a thing chicken nuggets and fries. Although greets yeah. in the Netherlands were delicious. They had sidewalk vendors of just like massive bags of fries. That was a thing. I we had mm-hmm. those. I mean, you know, they still they, they crap food still exists. It's just I think there it's it's almost more of a everyone's almost more aware that it's not an everyday thing. I guess <laughs> maybe. Well, and they en- they enjoy it. Like there's not this mindless eating thing. And I've actually tried to like be conscious of it lately. I mean, we sit in front of our TVs and just eat dinner or whatever. You know, it's it's very in line with Spain is the same way. Like you meals are meant to be like honored and sat down and enjoyed. And so there's kind of like a reverence to food um, that makes it a little bit more special. And then you, you know, you take it, you, you're conscious of it and you're probably not overeating as, as much as those Spanish do. food sucks. And someone <laughs> like, no, compared, they're like, come on. Paella is good. It's great. Paella is good. Happens, but, fine. Great. But come on. Nah, really that was one of the because we uh, you know like eight hundred varieties, very variety of ham there. Fans, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. I'm get, I'm on, get all the ham. I'm on there, there like, I'm not a God. fan. Yeah, I wasn't the biggest fan of Spanish food. I love, I like the wine though. Good wine. Yes. Vance has become quite the wine connoisseur. Early episodes, we had a whole segment where he pour himself a glass of wine. Yeah, I kind of forgotten about that. That used yeah, to be yeah. that used to be a whole yeah. segment of the show. Yeah, me and my wife are really into wine. Oh, cool. Uh, we try to be, at least. We're not good. It's fun. I, she has a great it palate. I, I, mine's horrible. I'm like, rust? <laughs> rust in here or something? I don't know. Metallic something? I don't know. But that's the difference, too. Like, And I'm not just – I mean, yes, some people have that type of a, have a palate for beer, and that's fine, too. Which, I mean, I admit I like to do some – you know, I, I do like some beers or whatever. But, like, you know, sometimes when you're drinking a Bud Light, and, like, you're not drinking that to savor a moment – Whereas you uncork a bottle of wine and there is a moment there. There, there is an actual real happening. We're all taking part. And whereas like, Hey, I got a, I got a six or a Modelo. Like, let's just fucking drink it and move along. Like there's a big sure. difference. Speaking of that, that ties into my, my, one of my questions was when Lauren and I were in Paris last time we were eating at this like really cute place in, in Montmartre. And these two businessmen came in. It was like a Wednesday um, at like one, 1 PM. And these two businessmen came in. They ate at the same time that we were eating across from us, and they both had a bottle of wine each at lunch. And I was just watching them, like, "All right," like, so and they work. finished it. And then they're like, "I guess th- is that normal?" Um, I, I think it's probably somewhat circumstantial. Like, for instance, you know, at my office when you're at the canteen, people did not drink wine um although it was there was a refrigerator and you know like they offered it but uh typically no people aren't drinking wine at work um on their lunch break however um it does it's not to say that it doesn't happen and if maybe they were celebrating something you know or who knows but um but but if you're like actually working but if they're out i mean if i were to go my office was kind of one of those things where it was in the suburbs. It was outside of Paris. So you're, it's kind of like a campus situation. There's nowhere else really to go. But um, for people that actually do work in the city, if they if they have lunch at a cafe or something, they might I mean, definitely they would have a glass or two. A bottle, I think, is ambitious. But uh, yeah, a glass or two, that would not. I mean, it's just 
that's just the drink. I mean, they're not drinking soda. They're not drinking tea, really. They're, it's, you know, it's water and wine, for sure. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I mean, Vance, you guys have draft beer in your office. I mean, it's not that much. Yeah. No, I'm not. Uh, yeah. It, it, and I'm not. Um, yeah. Like, if I go to a, a at lunch, or like, or take my interns or something like that, shit, I'm having a beer. Like, might as well. Yeah. Sure. If, if any of my customers are listening, I've never, ever <laughs> done that. Not oh yes, yeah. my clients, all my clients. Not once. I did Never. not work on any of your cases afterwards. Actually, you. I don't actually care. Yes, I had a beer. I wasn't <laughs> it. It was like I expect okay. most of my customers have as well. Doesn't who gives a shit? <laughs> all right. Um, I don't know how to make a left turn here, but I just think it's incredibly interesting. Uh, actually, like like day five when you had just moved to Paris. Uh, that's that's when the Paris attacks happened. Am I right? Is that oh, the, yeah. the time frame there accurate? Yes. Yes. Dude. So. Yeah, that yeah, that was a huge. Um, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's hard to even think about, but I moved, shipped all my stuff. You know, obviously, this is in preparation for several months ahead of time. My sister, actually, who uh, you guys know, um, helped shout me. Out. Shout out. Uh, we she helped me move over there. So she and I um, flew, and I had like a corporate hotel to stay in because I was picking out my apartment that same week. And, uh, we, we had a great time. I was, it was kind of introductory, go to the office, meet my boss, look at some apartments, that kind of thing. And, um, five days later, it was a Friday night and I was very lucky to have some colleagues that were transferred to Paris at the exact same time as I was They They were from Sweden, from France. Um, and anyway, people that I'd met before. So we were actually, it was like a big reunion. We're like, Oh, I was the last one to, to move. So we were planning to all meet up. And my sister and I were literally in a taxi headed to the center of Paris when <laughs> the world just starts falling apart. I mean, my phone immediately started blowing up. I mean, text messages just yeah. like coming through mass. Um, I, obviously my French was not distinguished enough to figure out what was going on because the, the taxi driver I could tell was upset and he like turned up the radio. Something was clearly going on. Uh, my dad calls me and lets me know that uh, suicide bomber was, uh, you know, exploded his vest in front of the Stade de France. The president has been taken underground. Um, and then there were shootings in the 10th argument. There were three. And then the, then the Bataclan thing happened, um, uh, a little later that night. So my dad calls me and kind of tells us what's going on. He's like, you have got to get back to your hotel immediately. Well, my yeah. sister and I, <clears throat> we just got out of the taxi because we were like, okay, well, I don't really know what we're doing or anything. And the, everybody's taxi lights went off. All the Ubers like kind of canceled. It was terrifying. But how in the world are we going to get home? And uh, by the grace of God, this one driver, he was an Uber driver and we just trusted him. He was like, do you, he was like, you look like you need to get back to wherever you need to go. And uh, he was like, I'll take you. And then I'm, I'm shutting off my rides. And so he, he took us back to the hotel and it was the first citywide um, like true lockdown um, since world war two. And Whoa. it it was the eeriest thing ever to wake up on Saturday morning and just have like the city be completely still and quiet. And nobody really knew for sure what was going on. Is it going to continue? Um, pretty terrifying. I will say that uh, my sister actually was meant to fly out the next day and she did. She, she was like, well, I don't want to miss my flight. 
Um, so I she want, did. I want the fuck out of here. Love you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, my boss was so kind at the time. He, I mean, he called me the next day too. And was like, listen, if you <laughs> do not feel comfortable with this assignment anymore and want to just go back home, we won't hold it against you. And I just said like, no, I, I've been, I've been preparing for this for months and wanted to do this my whole life. So I wasn't, I wasn't about to give up that easy, but it was amazing because my friends and I ended up did getting together on that Sunday and everybody kind of started trickling out of their apartments and we all um, made brunch together. And then we played the traditional French petanque, which is like bocce ball, you know, where you throw the oh, baby, no. baby ball. Yeah. Very, they call it petanque, slightly different rules. And you, you could not, um, the city probably never felt more alive. Like people came out in full force and it was this, it gives me chills thinking about it. Cause it was this unbelievable French resilience of like, no, we're not going to be afraid like this. If you know, we are standing in defiance of this and uh, life, life goes on. So it was, it was kind of a really poetic way to be introduced to the city, even though through awful, horrible tragedy. But at the same time, it kind of bonded me to people a lot more because I had gone through that with them. So it, it kind of made me seem not quite as much of an outsider, which was kind of an amazing thing too. Yeah. We all experienced this together, regardless of yes. when or how or anything. Just, we are all, wow, that's, well, amazing. Also, like the, the, you're talking about probably a thousand years of trauma that this, you know, this the society has endured, and they've gotten over these certain things, and yes, and so now this comes up, and it's like you're almost like equipped to deal with it because of that. Mm-hmm. I remember that response. It was like it was very, it was cool to see. I do actually remember that response was like they were basically like "fuck you, we're not <laughs> letting you in," which right. is very, very French. Um, yes. Think about it. Like defiant, but not, not, I mean, obviously. Not American they, about it. Not American but, defiant. Not, it wasn't aggressive. It was not retaliatory. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Not aggressive, not retaliatory. Just like. Yeah. Our, our response is Kenny Chesney. Wait, no, wait. We just got cut off because I said the wrong artist. So we cut the feed yep. because I said the wrong artist. The artist yep. is not Kenny Chesney. The artist is yeah. Toby Keith. And Toby Keith said this in response to our terror attack. America. This is how we respond. But I didn't Are you going to go through the whole – Didn't cue it up so much. Yeah, kind of. For the right slow intro, dog. Oh, well. Wait, no. Hold on. <laughs> So fast forward and then we say something cool. Yep. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. All right. So uh, who was our sound guy again? We fired him. So we need to, we need to rehire him. Uh, <laughs> his name was. Now I think. I forgot. Doesn't matter. All right. Make so up. Point. Kenny, uh, right? Yeah. Toby. Toby Kenny. Toby. Toby. TK. TK, you fired. It's your last day. All right. So, okay. But obviously, I don't even know how to circle back to that because it was a very emotional moment that got wrecked by many reasons, both, <laughs> both of which are stupidity. So, the general idea there was I mean, I mean, the, the attacks were racist based, as, as all really big scale attacks tend to be or whatever. So, totally unfair question, Ashley, because I know you'd only been there, I mean, less than a week. So, this is not fair. So, feel free to just punt. But did you notice an increase in like, anti-islam thoughts or actions or conversations did that start to come up much more because at least in america when shit like that happens like we put up flags and banners in the backs of trucks saying you know fuck you if you're not from here that kind of shit did that anything close to that happen yeah i'm curious how it 
looked compared to the American response. Yes. Yeah. What it meant yeah. to French people, but how different than the American one. Yes. The, the yeah. optics. What was that like? Um, so I, I would say that there, there was, um, I can't speak well enough to having lived there, you know, not lived there before, like how marked the increase was, but from, you know, friends and everything, I, there definitely, I think was, um, you have to remember too, that, um, like France and Paris has a large population of Tunisian and Algerian people. Um, cause you know, they were under French protectorate from 1950 uh, up until 1956 for Tunisia and 1962 for Algeria. So there's, it, it, it mirrors a lot of the kind of same racist sort of thoughts that we do where they, you know, you see somebody who looks different than you. Um, and also, you know, having to think about just the way we, this has come up in the news recently, how we talk about it. Right. So like Arabic people versus Muslim, because that's a religion, you know, just like Jewish people is not a race, really. It's a, it's a religion. That being said, um, all the way around, yes, I think there was an uptick in that and, um, having people feel very marginalized saying like, okay, there, you know, there's a ton of people that are born and raised in France, um, but now are, you know, being called awful things in, in the streets and, um, treated differently at restaurants or what have you. And uh, they also had an election year, <clears throat> the same, right, just right before we did. And there was a really huge rise in the Nationalist Party. So Marine Le Pen was um, up against Emmanuel Macron. And she, I mean, people were, she had quite a following. And people were really taking back, you know, people started to um, get excited about, you know, thinking of France being the old white um, tradition of France that, uh, you know, holding on to that in some way and, and rejecting, um, France typically, I mean, they they do great and don't want to dog on them, but they take in less, less refugees than like Germany and, um, the Nordics, for example. So yeah, there was definitely some backlash there for sure. Hmm. That's, I mean, it's interesting to hear that. I mean, I'm sure it's not as, as uh, we'll go retaliatory just because that's a great word as, as Americans did, but it's, it's interesting to hear that it's, it's awfully similar. At least in, mm-hmm. in, in a baseline, at least in a in a reasoning of a why you do it, it's just you know you're just suddenly scared of everything. When that when yes. it, like that happens, you just start to put up any wall against anybody that doesn't look like you. And I guess that's probably just a human trait, not so much an American trait. Well, I'm not re- I'm not shocked because of the Premier League, like all the Premier League stuff, like all the racist stuff. You know, you know, oh god, that, yeah. that's across all league? soccer leagues in Europe. Ooh. Yeah, it's like bad. Really? Uh, See, I I wouldn't know. It's, a, it's yeah. a huge, it's, here's a little soliloquy I got. I think, I mean, at the core, people turn racist because they're scared. And when, when an attack like that happens, like there's, they don't have like a ton of friends. I mean, this is just, I'm guessing here, but they don't have a ton of friends. And so they just want to join any group that'll take them. And best I can tell, hate groups welcome anyone that wants to hate a lot with them. Because, you know, the more people in our group, the more superior we can feel to those that we hate, which is which is ridiculous, though. Because have you guys seen the, the website, People of Walmart? Like, white people ain't superior to shit, man. If y'all have been on that site, like, right. it's so clear. So, but here's the difference between racist American Walmart people mm-hmm. and potentially racist French people is at least French people can sort of fake being classy. To hide yeah. racism. No, well, let's be clear. If you're racist, you're not classy. You're a dick. Your accent too makes them classier. But yeah, <laughs> you know, imagine imagine a clean cut scarf wearing French racist, 
And he looks better than a truck driving redneck races. He just does. And here's my conspiracy theory on this. The elite rich racists, certainly Mm -hmm. the America, they want that stereotype to exist. Like y'all saw the couple wearing swastikas over their faces. Do you guys see the picture of that that Uh, lovely couple? Rich racists want that couple wearing fucking Nazi stuff over their mouth. They want them to represent racism. They want the guy with a mullet to be the poster child for racism. That way, mm. they get a $100 haircut, buy a $1,000 suit, and then point the finger at truck driving ticks and be like, no, he's the bad guy. But I look at me. I look so clear. I can't be racist. I think that's actually on purpose. Now, mm. if y'all have any points, go ahead. But that I said that all just to circle back to we had a buddy named Tex back in the day. Uh, well, we were uh, Baylor, my, me and my Baylor crew, when we studied abroad, there's about 20 of us or whatever. Uh, we flew to the Netherlands, all 20 of us at the same time. I don't know why Baylor went to Maastricht, because like I said before, it's, it's, got all the, it's got all the laws of Amsterdam, just no you know, women. But anyway, same thing. Why we did it, I don't know. Point of the story, one dude in our group, most of us had never left America. One dude, we found out, had never left Texas. He'd never even so much as driven to Oklahoma to gamble or like anything. And now he's on an international flight to the Netherlands. He's having culture shock on the plane just because a couple of the like stewardess have like accents and shit. Like, so we literally decided like, we're going to call you Tex. And that stuck immediately. That's like for the rest of the trip, he was Tex. So we landed Amsterdam, hop on a bus, get to Maastricht by about five o'clock ish. We, you know, dinner, we all go out to drink because we're all under 21. Here's where it gets fun. We've had a couple drinks and uh, in Maastricht, they have coffee shops just like they do in the Netherlands, anywhere else. Um, and Tex decides he wants to come with us. So about six, seven of us, uh, we leave a very dark, crowded bar and we get to a very well-lit coffee shop. And we realize right then, what I'm sure all of you realized, how obvious it was that we're American. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you all know, like, yes. you just, it's, it's ridiculous. It's well-lit and we are clearly the only Americans in this room. Well, anyways, we buy what we got to buy and we sit down and whatever. Good old Tex. He partakes. He doesn't ask any questions. He doesn't even hesitate. He doesn't ask one question about one thing. We just assume, all right, cool, man, whatever. 20 minutes later, Tex is sweating profusely and hasn't said a word in what seems like forever. So somebody just goes, hey, man, you all right? Swear to God. He stands up and dives full speed under the table. Dives. (laughs) Makes, Makes quite the noise. Some people turn. Some people look. The rest of us are like, hey, man, like, what you doing? Like, you want to you want to get up, bro? He proceeds to stand up, scream full voice, hand to God, scream full voice. I'm going to die. <laughs> Makes everybody in there turn and look at us. Uh-huh. And he runs out the door. The door's a pull, so he slams into it, oh, stumbles God. back, opens the door, and runs oh, out. God. Half our group gets up and follows him, as they should. They're good people. I, however, yeah. A, not a good person, and B, so stunned that I do not know what's happening. <laughs> 20, 30 people-ish are all staring at me and my now only two friends left, and we're just sitting there. And 20, 30 people all slowly turn back to their table and just pretend that shit. <laughs> yeah. They're just like, I guess that happens. You know, like that's, I'm sure we've all been there. And it, yeah. anyways, Texas is a great guy. He's got kids and children. Now he's a, he's a wife and everything. He's a great. Point of that story <laughs> is point of all of that random ass nonsense. That they, they, they thought that the people in the bar were just like, you know what? I bet he just figured out there's no whores here. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to die now. Yep. But now, being American overseas is obvious. We stand out. You know what I mean? Like, like real, real. Like, did any one of y'all, and I guess actually we'll start with you just because we've kind of been doing that, so we'll follow the theme. Did you ever experience that? Like, oh, American, you shouldn't be here, or any type of slight, any type of, you know what I mean? Like, did you experience anything because or, of your Americanness? What I want to know is, did you ever feel like, yeah, I'm like, 
I don't like I don't stick out now. Mm, like, I, I'm, like how totally, ingratiated you totally yeah. now. Yeah. I I think the first thing is just the language because France specifically takes such pride in their language. So um we do too. Speak, speak yeah. American. <laughs> Absolutely. Um so speaking it uh vastly uh, changed the scenario for everyday life. But I would I think in terms of the office though, I could tell a little bit um they say we were supposed to be an English speaking country uh, company across the board because we have people from literally all countries you can think of. People used to make the joke that this company, you couldn't work for a more international company unless you actually work for the UN. So I, I would sit in meetings with people from, I mean, you name it. And, uh, but in France, in, in Austin, I did, but in France, it was, the population was by and large more French and, there were some meetings that were held just completely in French, knowing full well that they did, you know, I did my best to follow along, but that I wasn't up to a fluency where I literally just have to go to my boss and be like, so let me just make sure I got like, <laughs> half of that. <laughs> um, so, you know, there can be like the, like little asides, you know, where you feel left out, where people will speak to you in English and then they'll make an aside in French or whatever. Uh, so I made it a very big uh, pointed effort to learn and speak the language pretty quickly, which luckily worked out pretty well. I had a professor as a part of my expat um, package where he sat in my office for an hour a week. And then I just, you know, did my best to speak it as, as well as I could elsewhere. And um, so, yeah. So is so, that when you feel like you jumped to chasm once you could speak fluently? You felt like you could you know mix in better? Yeah. And I think just because of my general like coloring and stuff, I, I kind of blended in. Um, I mean, I've been a fan of French fashion for a long time. So I, you know, I, I, I knew, I already knew going in like, Oh, like what you you know, what French women wear and that kind of thing. You know, I mean, that's just like such a female, um, the, the French iconic woman is like, I mean, if you look at Instagram and there's a million books that are written about this kind of thing, you know, just idolizing, uh, French fashion and, and culture in that way. So I, I, but it, it wasn't like I was trying. I, those are things that I have probably adopted in my life prior. Um, I was also very lucky to live where I did. And I met, um, I love how people hang out kind of in their neighborhoods. Like you start to have neighborhood friends and, I was very lucky to meet an incredible group of people that were a bit older than me. They were in their um, mid to late forties and they, they adopted me. I mean, some of them called me um, their niece and I would call them like uncle Vivian. And uh, yeah. So uncle Vivian. Yes. His, that is a male name. I have two male friends named Vivian because there, there's a lot of French names that are male and female, like Michelle and Michelle. And Vivian and then Vivian, like there's an I-E-N-N-E for the female, but just V-I-V-I-E-N for the male. So there's a lot of, tons of variations of that kind of thing. It's like Ashley here. Yeah. Yeah. My name, I, people had a lot of trouble with my Did name. They really? that, 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 that stuck out like a sore thumb for sure. I could pass off, you know, I should have just gone around saying that I was Laurence or something, but uh, <laughs> I, uh, Ashley is a, is a, is a dead giveaway. I mean, that is like, you know, the Tiffany, Stephanie, eighties mm. names, yeah, American, right. there, there is no equivalent. You can't even, I mean, people would say Ashley, they, they would yeah. like try to put some kind of, thing uh -uh. on it my electricity bill actually came to me 
spelled Hachalé, which is spelled <laughs> H H A C H E L E T. Wow. That's the most French thing ever. Because that's what they heard. That's what yeah. they heard when I Hachalé. said that. Like, just <laughs> or it's more like the mailman was like, I refuse to write this American. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to send this to him. I had a buddy the entire time we were there. Uh, he's He was uh, not part of the Baylor group. He was just part of, there was another you know group of Americans that he was literally from Detroit. He adopted a British accent the entire time. <laughs> Fantastic. It was what so deep-through. Yeah, I mean, it, it was pretty see-through. Like, it, you know, it was, one, another guy just always claimed he was Canadian and that one pulled it off completely. That you know one. I mean, like, dude, okay. And here, this is, I swear to God, this is a true story too. Uh, I, I'm in a bar reading a book. Um, we had a book report due or something, and I drank a lot. So you, you can, I'm, I'm, I'm drinking at a bar, but I'm reading a book because uh, whatever. Right. And three dudes walk by, and I swear to God, one of them said to their other friends, like typical American hillbilly. Like I, I heard those three words, so I know I clear as day I heard it as they walked up to the bar, and I'm sitting there while they were ordering. I made sure to prop up the book that I was reading, like make sure they can see that, and it's Machiavelli's The Prince. So one of the one of the other guys noticed and said back to his friend, he goes, "Ah, oh, that's no hillbilly." Look at him, he kind of like nudged me, whatever, like. <laughs> Now, here's the thing. Here's what they didn't know. At the time, I was so drunk, I was not. <laughs> yeah. I was just kind of staring at it, like, just kind of like, I'm at a bar, so I'm going to pretend because whatever. So, like, were they racist? Yeah. Were they wrong? No. No, they were not at all. That's, so, that's I mean, hilarious. Whatever. But, okay, so I, wait, I, is that racism? So, that's why I was what was the question. Like, is it racist to be anti-American? Is that racist or is that? Like, is it what, just nationalist, I guess? Nationalist you know? Stereotypical, at least. It's an ist of some kind, I'm sure. Yeah. Isn't I will it? say, in terms of, of the way they think about that, they have a far harder time with British people than they do with Americans. I mean, French people, by and large, like Americans quite a bit. I mean, they are very apprised of the fact that, like, Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin were huge Francophiles. Um, they, you know, they, we've, you know, up until recently, you know, we've been their ally, I guess, minus the freedom fry incident as well. But, um, you know, we, oh, yeah. we, they, they, they do like Americans. I mean, they, they, you know, they think that we're pretty cool, but they, they would make fun of uh, British people a lot more and just well. in, in like a tacky sense of that. They're just like. A little bit more brash, and they dress so eccentrically, and you know, silly things like that. But I mean, they also deal with them more, and they have thousand years worth of conflict. Easy. But you very good fighting them so. for thousands of years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you kind of don't like them. Um, yeah, we're probably like the cool little sister, little you know. I don't yeah, know, yeah, are, yeah. Are we? No, we're probably brother. We're probably yeah. a male country. I don't know. We're the young man. Well, we're America oh, is yeah. most certainly we definitely are definitely. <laughs> everything. Yeah, look at the Washington Monument. That's back <laughs> America. America. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a widely debated topic, by the way. I'd love uh, if uh, the Eiffel Tower is is a woman or a man. Ooh. Oh, that's interesting. Ooh, I mean, if you look at both of them and the way they're pointing, they could just be Madonna's breasts. Very pointy. Yeah, <laughs> more more um, the Super Bowl halftime show. Like yes, yes, dude, to, total total accent there. Yeah, yeah. no, that's yeah. a good, that's an interesting question because I mean, so many of those like symbols are just giant phallic symbols. Like besides, like you know, I mean, even the pyramids, kind of. Besides, like I guess the you know some of the sphinxes and stuff in Egypt, I guess is maybe more feminine. I don't know. They were. Like, I would she, say the she Eiffel is Tower more regarded was, as. Oh, go, Eric. No, I was just say I would think the Eiffel Tower is more feminine than. The yeah, one it's one very shaped by a comfortable. Very, one. Yes. Like very beautiful, like and the, with romance languages, you get the la or le, so everything is, has it. So it it is la tour I felt. So it is it's feminine, I guess. Yeah, yeah. la, la tour. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
<laughs> All right. So um, left turn because whatever. The France work-life balance versus the American yeah, work-life. Yeah. And specifically, I didn't even realize how, how perfect of a question that would be for you. I mean, even just starting, if you can, with the way people in your own company worked in America versus the way people in your own – and then, you know, kind of a broader sense too. But just to start, what, were there differences strictly in the way that your own coworkers approached work? Yes. So um, I had – there was a large French population in the Austin office as well. So I was um, – you know, yeah, so I was you know, pretty familiar with my French colleagues here in Austin, um, and the the culture followed where you sat. So the French in the U.S. offices definitely adapted to the U.S. way of life, and vice versa. Um, French work life balance is uh, pretty much a dream. <laughs> uh, I mean, honestly, the 1995 Sabrina movie, which I am like a huge, ridiculous fan of, uh, the Teenage Witch. No, no, no. The the re, the Sydney Pollock remake of the Audrey Hepburn one from 1956 or whatever with Humphrey Bogart. Uh, but it's Harrison Ford and Julia Armand and Greg Kinnear. It's great. Thank you. This is, this is not on America's number one podcast right here. <laughs> She says she says a line in it though that I think is fitting, and she said the French work as hard as anybody; they just know when to quit. And I mean, I just I find that to be true. Um, they they work later. So, I mean, just, you know, basics, their day doesn't start until, uh, nine 30 for sure. I shared an office with a guy on my first year that was a well-respected, um, employee. And I mean, he would regularly roll in at 10 and nobody would blink an eye, but then they stay later. So the, the, the schedule is just completely shifted. Um, people work until seven, um, if not eight, depending. Uh, and I think it's, just the whole setup of the day kind of flows to where you're, you're not quite as stressed about getting everything in. Like people are walking to work. So that takes care of a lot of like this exercise need. And then, um, you know, you have your work day, which is set out in terms of childcare and that kind of thing. That's way more organized and supported by the government. So people don't feel um, pressured to pick up their kids from school right away or that kind of thing. And then um, the day kind of if people usually get um, an after work drink. Um, they call happy hours after works in English, but apero. And um, you would usually. Yeah, Applebee's is that, is that Applebee's, App, the local yeah, Applebee's everywhere. That's where Karen. Applebee's comes from. I always figure Applebee's no, was no, so classy. No, they Applebee's feels so. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. That's they, an they export. <laughs> um, but yeah, people would get a you know grab a drink after work. Um, and you think about what it takes for Americans to schedule a drink with friends, especially if you have kids. That is like an event. You have to get a babysitter. You have to drive from your house to said restaurant or bar. And it's probably, you know, a, some kind of decent drive, 15 minutes, if not more. Yeah. Um, it, a lot of the people, some, so some of the friends that I mentioned that lived in my neighborhood, they had young kids. But if they were old enough, you know, like decent enough to be left alone, like 10, 12 and up. I mean, if your parents are literally below they're flat, you know, yeah. it's like, they're, they're going to be fine. They're doing their homework. The parents have a drink. You don't have to give up this kind of like, there's more of a societal thing. I think in the U S of you have your twenties 
and college years and maybe your early 30s to go out and then it's you know it's the settle down that part of your life is somewhat over to an extent yeah. oh, and i love the way they in, that never that never really goes away um and you know it's a little bit more integrated that way and so because you work late you can stay up a little later because you don't need to really be in the office until 9 30. it's just life just feels a little bit you know slower paced and more leisurely in that way that sounds awesome sounds nice yeah <laughs> Yeah. As like Ours, my screens uh, are in the background. Yeah, dude. So like, uh, yeah. <laughs> now I have no idea how this has evolved with the COVID situation. I mean, oh, um, right. oh, that's a good point. Yeah. And I, and something I know from like somebody mentioned, you know, just friends in New York. And I mean, just do, I mean, Paris apartments are small. I mean, nobody there. I lived, my apartment was 400 square feet. It was beautiful and nicely. It was like, it's so crazy because if you saw pictures of it there, it just did not look like 400 square feet. I had a full kitchen and a living room and a separate bedroom and a nice bathroom, but they just laid out very nicely. And, um, but so people, the idea is that you're living outside of your apartment all the time. And people used to tell me that they were like, Oh, whenever you move, you know, make sure that you like where you live and get a, a comfortable place, but don't overspend on your living quarters because you will never be there. You are, you, your apartment is a place to hang your clothes, take a shower and that's about it and sleep because you walk to work, you spend your day at work, you spend your, you know, evening out on the terraces and whatever. So yeah, I mean, you, you, you don't entertain. There's none of that. Um, I got on that tangent somehow, but no, I, like <laughs> oh, I was going to say because, because of COVID now I think it's, it's really like people don't have comfortable offices like in-home offices yeah. or separate spaces to where you know their kids may be um and one of my friends in new york was saying you know living in a tiny apartment like people that work for google or whatever like they love to get out of their small spaces and go to an office um so yeah i can't imagine how that's going for everybody right now oofta I, I i have worked from home for a bit and the other day just you know raiden was sick so he had to like stay near me i i couldn't one day i couldn't handle that i can't imagine in a small apartment you can't even tell him to leave like that's got to be jarring to a way of life that has been implanted for however many you know centuries well, right also, like i'm such a like now the older i've gotten i'm such like a home body person yeah uh, I mean, I'm an outgoing person, but like, I love my home and I like, mm -hmm. like to be in my home and like, I miss my home and right. I could imagine like living somewhere like New York or something like that. Now I, my anxiety would be in, insane because like, I can't be cramped. I can't be like, I have to be comfortable and have a little bit of space. So it's funny that it's almost like you get to live in your twenties when you're in France for like the rest of your life. Yeah. <laughs> like you're just going out. Like and that's kind of something I, I miss too. Like friend groups are very integrated age wise. Like people would hang because, you know, you just kind of have oh, uh, people. Who would, oh, 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 you're going to love this. Guess what the cat's name is? Eiffel. Yes. <laughs> uh, Eiffel. Oh, he's pretty. He's cute. Um, yeah, it was, it was nice to, you know, early professionals to, pretty much like 25 to 55. Like there's kind of no age classification. People would hang out in all different age ranges, which is kind of, kind of interesting and fun. Yeah, that does not happen here. No, no. I like that a lot. When we uh, first moved to Denver, Sarah basically just made friends with like the people that were sitting near her and they all happened to be our same age, but their work group circle was like everywhere from like sixties down to like, you know, mid twenties. And I remember the first time I like ever hung out in that group I was like, this feels weird. 
Like I literally mm-hmm. like thought that like I had a very like a, me- a mental note of like I've never done you know besides like family reunions I've never once hung out with people that are younger than me by a decade and older than me by you know two or three. It was just very right. odd, but it shouldn't be. Why why no. why do we why do we strictly limit ourselves that way? I don't I don't really I've never even questioned it. I don't know. Yeah, that is that's I, I have no I wonder idea. Wonder if that's part of the identity of America more than it is other places. Like if you think about it in other cultures, families live together for much longer. Yeah. You're not, you know, encouraged to move away and spread your wings or whatever. It's sort of expected that you are going to be more ingrained and part of your family and you have a different responsibility to them. So I wonder if that's part of it. And you just get used to hanging out with that. You, you get used to tailoring your conversations up and down age ranges so much more mm-hmm. smoothly. And like Ashley was saying, part of it is just the way the society is structured, right? Like if everybody in a building can go down and drink in the bar located on the first floor, then everybody's going to do it. Yeah. That doesn't really exist here in that form. We all have to drive. You have to make a decision to do something and meet somebody and go somewhere. So exactly. make a decision to go to Applebee's for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sure. And every so time I'm Toby Keith on. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Be good. Absolutely. I tell you who Toby Keith doesn't like Antifa. So that's uh, that's that's the best left turn. Oh, there it was. Best left turn I can make. Nailed it. Best left turn I can make on just in general. Uh, Ashley, we'll start with you, but just all three, y'all. Like Portland right now, and and all of the nonsense that's going on. What 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 are your thoughts? Like, I I don't even know how to tie that back in with France. So we'll just talk America right now. Like, Ashley, what are your thoughts on all that? If you don't mind my asking. Um, I don't. I, I will kind of tie it back to France. I just actually right before this podcast, I was on the phone with my fr- friends in France. A couple of them are we're having a get together. We were talking. Um, Again, I, English. um a mix. I, I, I'm, I it's, it's if you don't use it, you lose it kind of thing. So I really got to try to do that. But um I think what's really sad, I mean, they, they basically were just like, oh man, you guys are a mess right now. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. awesome. Yeah. We know it. And yeah. um, it's just so sad because one, one friend in particular said, um, kind of like what I mentioned earlier, they, for years, they looked up to us in a way. I mean, especially during the Obama years when things were good, but I mean, it, historically just, that the real idea of capitalism, I mean, they're a capitalist country, but there's a lot of socialism involved and they, you know, the the way they admire like Americans ambition and that you can truly come from absolutely nothing and make yourself into something. um, That's not a concept that actually exists in France. Really. Um, You're the class system is kind of an unspoken, very much real thing. If you're born into a certain socioeconomic class, you more than likely are going to stay within it um, for a myriad of reasons. But anyway, I think especially with the, you know, less so on the Portland thing, but with the COVID thing, I mean, just how the gross incompetence of the way we handled it versus them, they're back living life as normal, which is the saddest thing to me ever. And they have like a minuscule amount of um, cases reported. I think like in the entire country of France, they have something like 300 cases reported daily, you know, because they did a 55 day strict lockdown where you could not leave your apartment except for one hour a day for pharmacy or food run. And so, you know, they, they, they handled this. And so it just kills me because on Instagram, I, you know, they're all out there having Rose on the Seine and, and living life and just thinking about like how backwards we are now and how they don't look, 
we, you know, we, we've led nations as the leaders with thoughts and ideas. And we're so not, we're so not that now. So it makes me sad. See, I still think we are. That's always been there. This, like, this part of America has always been there. We've always been this dumb, fuck you, don't tell me what to do, mm-hmm. even if it's stupid type of culture. Like, that's always existed. It always will exist. I mean, the people that came over here were people that literally said, fuck you, whatever government or religion or whatever, fuck you, I'm going to do come here and do my own thing. And they were crazy people. And that's still, that's still going to be here. Yeah. Uh, but it is very upsetting that people are drinking wine right now very it is very upsetting to that point vance there was my the same friend told me that there's a meme circling around uh, europe of like all the european leaders being like oh how do we recolonize america (laughs) (laughs) it's just (laughs) awful oh that's great like in uh Uh, like in hamilton i assume you've all seen it the the king you'll be back like they might actually be thinking like maybe they'll come yeah they're like oh this is our chance let's let's get in there go take it and Vance, you nailed it because I actually have written down like the the line in uh, Hamilton. He's like, just like my country, I'm young, scrappy, scrappy hungry. hungry. Yeah, yeah. I, I genuinely think a better line, and potentially the line that he genu- that he actually wrote down first, but then changed is, "I'm just like my country, young, dumb, and hungry." It flows better, it rhymes more, and it's more accurate. I, I seriously think that might have been the original line. And Vance, because Vance, you nailed it. We are like we are dumb, we know it, and we don't give a shit. Exactly. Here's how dumb we are. Uh, Let's play a game. Guys, we're going to play a game called Fun France Facts or <laughs> Question <laughs> one. <laughs> All right. Question one. Who's the president of France? The guy that had sex with his uh, teacher uh, when he was 18. Nailed it. That is uh, but I don't know his actual name. <laughs> uh, here's a tip. Ashley's already said it once. It's Macron, right? Yes. yes. Ding, ding, ding. I just uh, am I supposed to be answering these, by the way? I mean, like, I assume you knew, honestly. Sorry, yeah, I, when you would argue, I, I did dumb and then jump in and be like, <laughs> you, you literally, I was going to, the next question is for all three of you, but literally earlier you said during Emmanuel Mac, I, was, I can't even say his name. Was it Macron? Ma- is, it, is it Emmanuel Macaroon? Emmanuel yeah. Macaroon. He literally said differently. By the way, you so even wait. referenced the fact that he won earlier. So I was like, well, she definitely knows, clearly. All right. So question I'm, number two. Wait a oh, second. Right. Yeah, yeah. That is the most French thing ever that they started a relationship when he was like 16. And, and like he was like into her. And then like they wanted to have sex, but they didn't. It's like, oh, God. Oh. And then it he turned 18. And then they can do it now. It's like, hey. oh, my God. This is like, this is really fucking weird. Then he gets elected president. It's like, okay. All right. That is very French. Love it. So, uh, question number two of, uh, you know, fun France facts. What is the population of France? And I've got a multiple choice if you need it. 30 million. Higher. Fuck, really? 70. Again, I already knew this. Did you? Oh, yeah. All right, well, then, actually, you you correct him because Vance was too low. Eric was too high. Where are we at? It's, like, close to 68, right? Yep. Okay. Okay. No, he nailed it. Friggin' E friggin' nailed it, bro. Well done. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. All right. Uh, I wouldn't have known any of these questions, by the way. I Googled all of these. That's, so let's just be clear. I don't what? Know. Yeah, I know. Weird, right? I, I, do actually, I did know Emmanuel Macaroon. Him and I were on Skype. Hey, we're who is it the Google? Uh, okay, dude, that leads me perfectly. Who invented the Day, Valentine's Day card? France invented it, true or false? Oh. Card itself? Yeah. The, card? the Valentine's Day card. Hard. Uh, France Hallmark. invented it, true or false? That's got to be a Hallmark thing. Yeah, I'm going with you. Yeah, Hallmark. Uh, according to what I Googled, 
France takes credit for the first Valentine's Day card. Wow. According, according to legend, a French feller by the name of Charles, the Duke of Orleans, or Orleans, you know, spelled like New Orleans. Uh, he was in, that's what I said. He was, he was in prison in England in 1451. And while he was there, he wrote love letters to his wife who was living back in France. And that it happened to fall on the same one of the letters happened to fall on the same day as modern day Valentine's Day. So some people certainly claim that's it. Now, that ain't a claim for shit. That's uh that's a dude in jail. That's a dude in jail writing a letter to his main bitch on the outside. What is Valentine's where do, where do we get that from? Uh that's a good question. I should have Googled even more. It's a, it's a saint, I believe. Yeah, Saint Valentine. Saint Valentine. Yeah, it was the same. I don't know how it evolved into what it is today. But but here's a final question. This has nothing to do with France, but final question. Uh, when did the first letter get mailed? What year? Gosh. So by mailed, you mean somebody wrote somebody and somebody took it to another Some, Yeah, like I, it just for, you know, for theory, like e, I wrote you a letter, but I handed it to Vance and Vance took it to you. The how Egyptian, did it to you, whatever. The Egyptians were doing that, for sure. They were. They were they yeah, should. that's kind of where I was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but the question is: Is were the like Syrians and shit before them doing that? Were there Mesopotamian letters going around? Yeah, Tigris. I'm gonna go seven thousand BC. Seven thousand? Yeah, dude. Someone <laughs> took the letters. Someone seven thousand BC. But would we have that recorded? Yeah, I suppose it very well might have happened. I can't deny that. Um, however, the first one that we know of, E, you want to take a crack? Throw another uh, 400 BC. Jesus, 500 BC. Man, Jesus, nice, I'm, tired right? no, I'm very good at trivia and a very dumb person. Wait, wait, wait no, that's what that? I said before. I didn't even know if we were on air yet when I was saying the herrings are just smart people. Y'all just know stuff. But okay, yeah, the the uh, the Persian queen Atosa or Atosa. She wrote a letter. Uh, it was actually – it was talking about the frog's legs she had for dinner. That's not true. Oh. But it was Persian Queen of Persia. They made it 500 BC. Yeah, no, but it but was. Wait okay. a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. That doesn't make, that makes no sense because Break we it down, know man. that Paul was sending letters to the fucking Corinthians and and whatever AD that was, right? And that was an established thing. So there's no way it's only it, – it's that young. It could be an established thing and be 600 years old. That's not necessarily crazy. Yeah, but it, it's got to be earlier than that. Vance, I read it online. It has to be true. <laughs> hey, on America's number one conservative podcast. <laughs> yeah. Don't bring if your you fake news. Nobody or, wrote anything. Do we so like the postal cool. service? Do we hate the postal service? I don't well, know. Well, I think the postal service is done. So no, we, really we don't like anymore. it. We, like we don't like it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, yeah. We, we, like, yeah. we like private. Like private companies. Privatized yeah. on. Yeah. All right, well, anyways, I bring up Valentine's Day on purpose, uh, just as a segue, because actually, what uh, what was the dating scene like over there? What What was the, you know that kind of general vibe? What was the social scene, you know? Um, well, I think dating comes up because there's like such cliches around um, French and fidelity, I would say. Um, yeah, French men specifically. Although I, I think challenged more in recent years. Um, I, the, thing, the thing for dating that I found, I, I actually kind of saw the evolution of, traditionally... People who, if you went on a date and you kind of saw that person even one or two times and you kissed, you, you're pretty much assumed to be in, you're just in a relationship until you're not. It doesn't mean you're like going to get married and that's going to be it, but you, you're, you're seeing that person and that person only. And that's kind of, you know, that happens pretty quickly. 
Um, but with the advent of dating apps, which hit France around uh, the time that I moved there, like slightly before, but it really kind of picked up. Um, it kind of changed the whole dating game into very much what it, you know, similar to what it is here, multiple dating people at, um, you know, dating different people at the same time. Uh, I did have an experience of meeting a guy through a friend. He ended up asking me out. We had dinner on Valentine's day. Wow. And, um, so we had hung out in a group setting and it obviously went well. And I think we hung out one other time after that in a group setting, but he like kind of walked me home. You know, it was like, this is a real date. So he invites me to have dinner with him on Valentine's day. We go to a very romantic Italian restaurant actually. And, you know, have a great dinner, have wonderful conversation. Although my French wasn't super great yet because it was early on and his English was not very good either. So there was some mistranslations within the conversation. That being said, we get to the end of the dinner and he's like, well, I really enjoyed this and I'd like to see you again. I'm like, okay, great. Yeah, me too. He's like, but you should know I have a girlfriend. (laughs) I was just like, okay. And I truthfully asked him, I was like, a girl that's a friend? Like, like, are we talking about the the same thing? thing? Yeah. Yeah. Is it the language thing? Are we talking about, or even, because of what I just said, I thought like, oh, well, have you gone out on other dates like that? You know, that's fine. It's our first date, you know? Um, and no, I mean, he fully was like, no, we've been together for a year. She's on vacation. She's on, she's on a work trip this week. He had met her family. All, the whole. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> to which I just said, you know, I was like, I'm, you know, I'm sorry. That's unfortunate, but uh, you know, not not into playing that game. So wow. <laughs> I did not did not go anywhere after that. But it was it was he was so honest about it, and this was like not an awkward or uncomfortable conversation for him at all. Like he was just like, just you should know. But I kind of want to keep this thing going to see if it's going to work out better for me. <laughs> Said with all the casualness of you should know, I'm a dog person, not a cat person. Yeah, but yes. I have someone else. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that so that's very American. American first, right <laughs> but there. it just sounds current. Yeah. yeah, it does sound current. Maybe that maybe the, the advent of dating apps just kind of took the world by storm. I don't know that we were that, ready for that as a species. That being said, I have great French guy friends that are like our age that used to get so mad because my girlfriend that I was very close with, they're Swedish. We both were we would share with them our dating stories, and they took large offense to a lot of it because they both have. Um, you know, wonderful wives that they love. And, you know, they're like, that's such a cliche. I've never cheated on a girlfriend. And how, you know, uh, so props to them. Very, like, really great guys. But it, you know, it, it's a cliche that I that I happen to run into. It's kind of funny. That's hilarious. Um, wow, I really like that. Okay, so it that does, um, sounds a little bit better than a, a French tradition I found called, uh, going to nail this, Lotterie de l'Amour. Killed it. Uh, the Lottery for Love. Uh, this is delightful. This is old, old school, apparently, like talking like way back in the day. Um, basically, <laughs> they're gonna love this. A bunch of single dudes go in one house, and then across the street, a bunch of single women go in another house. And then they just like take turns randomly yelling, you know, go or you know, let begin, or you know, what they what y'all say. Anyways, so at, when they say something, one dude walks out and one woman walks out. Totally random, totally nobody knows, whatever. And they just look at each other and now they're together. It's just randomly, it's a lottery drawing for just just now you guys are together. Here's the catch. 
The men are allowed to go, nah, I don't like you. I'm going back inside the house. But the woman is not allowed to do the same. The woman has no choice. If she is told I don't like you, she has to leave the game all night. She's done. What year are we talking here, Joe? A while ago. We're talking a while ago. Okay. So, yeah, the women are not allowed back in. This is is a long time ago. But, so, I mean, clearly the dudes decided the rules because – God, we suck. We're getting better as men, but God, we suck. So anyways, douchebag, picky guy gets to go back inside and keep playing. The women, yeah, yeah. the woman less. So eventually, a lot of rejected women are now not allowed back in the game. And so they, according to legend, would get pissed off, go down to, you know, either to a river or to just to a field or whatever, and build a bonfire to gather around and just cuss out the dudes that rejected them, which is <laughs> good on you. Like, that's good for you. But okay, here's the problem. Every year, the bonfires got a little bit bigger. A little bit bigger. And eventually, <laughs> eventually the police did have to step in and they literally banned all together. Like, look, you can't do this anymore. We have to ban this before something bad happens. It's literally the only piece of French history that Texas A&M should have learned from. Oh, <gasps> moving yeah, yeah. on. Moving <laughs> on. Oh, what a setup. Moving on. I was like, where is this going? Here we go. So, okay, back to holidays because, yeah, that I could not. Um, is Vance – is Vance – yeah, sorry, dude. Aggies. I had to zing that one anyways france is it as overtly catholic as it seems because they have a ton of catholic holidays like there's six officially sanctioned ones and then like obviously easter and christmas to make it a lot more but like in general is it is it pretty catholic yes it's um i i i'm not gonna lie i did look it up it is the sixth most catholic country in the world behind italy um, yeah italy the philippines mexico brazil and us the u.s um, Wait, really? So, yeah. Population-wise, we're a huge country. Oh well, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I if think I should. I wonder, but yeah, that's fair. Percentages by country, um, but yes, it's it's tied back to. I mean, as far as you can go, the the French monarchy kept the Catholic uh, religion as like an official religion for forever. So, I mean, because of that, you have the most unbelievably gorgeous cathedrals everywhere, um, which are just a delight to look at. I mean, I would say, obviously, between Italy and France, I mean, the cathedrals are just gorgeous. Uh, but yes, it's a very it's a very Catholic country. However, in the last, I would probably say, I don't know, and I'm, I'm guesstimating here, but I would say probably from like the 70s on, people are pretty anti-religious now. Um, and typically, it's like an older, older generation probably holds on to Catholicism a bit more. I would say people are definitely raised Catholic, I would say, but that they're probably not practicing. Um, most of the people that I met, um, you know, they don't claim Catholicism as like their religion. I think there's more of a, like, I'm a spiritual person or kind of actually agnostic. Um, and people tend to get married less, um, Nowadays, they they have civil unions. They don't actually have church weddings. Um, that's like not very, or even like, yeah. I mean, just partnerships. They do it for tax reasons, um, and not it's it's not heavily tied. But traditionally, yes. And I mean, there's still a very large Catholic presence felt for sure. Interesting, but I think that's that's probably true. Of I would imagine any. I don't want to say first world, but our generation and younger, because we just have the internet and facts and access to all of the, the bad that every religion has done. And I do mean every single one. 
I think that's just happening in general. Like I, I think I saw I read a thing the other day, like the the Gen Z or Gen Y is like the fastest growing unreligious group of like literally all time, like the, the mm-hmm. decline in going to churches and whatever. So like, is going to church a big deal there? Is that like because like here, even in America, still, even though we are pulling back, I think Sunday morning is still church morning. Like you you can feel it if you go to the store. Like you know what I mean. Like that's do people over there still go to church as often? Is that I mean you know what I mean? Like is that still? A thing? I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. There- there is a very large sect of the population that does. I mean, Notre Dame, for example, that thing is full every, probably every day of the week, if, you know, definitely on Sundays. Yeah. Um, there was a church um, near where I lived, uh, Peace, that I could walk to. It was right by the Luxembourg Gardens. And I would wander over there on, on Sundays, not necessarily at church time, but just kind of like to go and, and sit and pray or what have you. All right. Well, that leads me perfectly to the next question. And I only ask if you want to go here, we don't have to. (laughs) What do you pray to or whom or whatever? So it's a good preface because I I was raised Catholic. And uh, it's funny because, you know, we all went to a very Baptist high school. (laughs) I I have some memories uh, going back of, you know, some people telling me that I was not a Christian because oh, I was yeah. Catholic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that's, that's a beautiful thing. I'm sure you can all, you guys can all remember things like that. But um, not talking about Hyde Park, which I, I did love. But, love, HP. Uh, love HP. Love it. Love HP. Van, really, gives it really, no truly. Vance gives it no credit for our Vance raised himself, but other yeah. than uh, I raised myself. By the way, did you ever go to Al Petit Sousset? You mean, right you, mean, you mean Alan Pettit Susan? Al Pettit Susan? A A U Petit S U I S S E. Al Petit Swissy? Um, not right that I can recall. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna Google it. See if I. It's if I, right uh, by the Luxembourg Gardens. It's like me and my wife had like. We had a salad there. This goat cheese salad that was like oh, haunts awesome. my dreams. I, I mean, while Vance thinks about that, I will say that, like, I had a French toast with cinnamon ice cream that changed the way I think about dessert. So <laughs> I totally get it. I Dude, totally get yeah. It. Absolutely. Some of those meals. It was me. heavenly. It was gen- as if God himself made it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I, 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 Ashley, do you believe in God, whatever God yeah. may be? I do. Yes. Very. Yes. I absolutely. The answer to that is unequivocally yes. Um, what I was going to say is I was raised Catholic and I have gone through all the Catholic traditions, communion, confirmation, etc. I am guilty. I don't even know if I want to say the word guilty because I don't personally think it's going to make or break anything um, of not going to church regularly. Um, I definitely have. I, unfortunately, I was getting I've I've been back in Austin for a year and a half. And in 2019, I was actually going a little bit more often than I had. But by that, I mean, like, maybe once a month. So I am not an an avid churchgoer. But um, I do, I probably consider myself a more spiritual person than anything. Although I, something about the traditions of Catholicism are attractive to me. And so I still claim that. And I definitely see myself, you know, hopefully getting married in the Catholic church one day. Um, like that would be important to me. I'd like, you know, if I have kids, which I would like, you know, to have kids, I would want to raise them Catholic probably. Um, but I, that being said, and it's totally contradictory to, you know, a, a religious faith, just where as I'm, you know, pro, you know, if you're like really claim to be 
Baptist and kind of what Grant was saying on the last one, if you believe in the true story of Jesus Christ, like, I don't know that I can say that, that, that that's as important to me to qualify you as a believer. Hmm. In theory, if Jesus was everything that he said he was, right. was, was anyone else potentially Muhammad, potentially Elijah, potentially the Archangel Gabriel, was anybody else, you know, it, it was, if, you know, I'm just saying if, because yes. like nobody met him. If he was, is it possible that others might have been? In your opinion. Yes. Because- yes. And I, I've had my, the the mentor, the manager that put me up for this job in France was, you know, is a good friend of mine now. And he is an Egyptian Muslim. And we, He's lived in the U.S. now for probably 10 years, but I mean, he grew up in Egypt and then worked in Dubai for a long time. And um, his very traditional Muslim beliefs have warped over time living in the U.S. for warped is maybe a negative connotation, but changed over time. And we've had amazing enlightening conversations where he we would say I, I would not for me, Muhammad and Jesus could have potentially been the same thing and translations got lost somewhere. And, you know, it's some sort of similar figure um, that works in, in both religions for me. Interesting. Joe, I love these questions with former HP people because it's fascinating. So do I. To see like, the direction everybody, yeah, every so considering where we were. Yeah, yeah, we all believe something slightly different, if not vast. Did you have preconceived notions of me, Vance? I'm curious. Did you think I was going to come on here and be like, I'm like a conservative Baptist? <laughs> I honestly, I didn't think about it, but I always assume that if you were in the HP like circle, that you're probably still a believer in God. But if I, if you would have asked me about it, but I actually honestly didn't even think about it. But it doesn't, I mean, that, I, I actually, when you were saying that, I was like, oh yeah, that's great. Ashley was Catholic. <laughs> you remember? That's you. Yeah, I, I, well, I actually had HP, that too. I mean, if you're not Baptist, then. I did not remember yeah, that. Yeah, you've got like some kind of scarlet letter on your chest. It's like. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I, because no. I didn't participate in um, any of the, like. What did, what did you guys do? You went like Austin Stone became a big thing. And, oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, a, a lot of all those groups. I wasn't there for that either. <laughs> okay, yeah, he's, he's got my back. Yeah. yeah. Wait, so do you still believe in Jesus? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. What do you I think? I don't think disbelieve in Jesus. I do, let's and I. Yeah, and see, I think that's a good distinction. Go ahead, Ashley. Yeah, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off either, but I don't. I, I I'm like hesitating in my head because my parents are definitely gonna listen to this. <laughs> I'm like, I'm thinking, like, do oh. I want to go? Do I want to go on record? And it's even less so. It's not even my parents really, but just people in general that whatever. I it's hard to go on record because I think what's great about it, and I as I've gotten older, I think there's kind of a freedom in taking. I don't feel like I need to know all the answers or have all the answers. I know what works. You know, for me, I feel a very strong connection to the easiest way to refer to it is God. Um, And so, like, you know, if Jesus, because we were taught so strongly that you have got to accept Jesus Christ into your heart, believe that he is the one true savior, otherwise you're not going to heaven, you know. And um, that is a little hard for me to wrestle with that. That's very specific thought. Um, I'm not, I'm not convinced that that's how it works. 
Yeah, I don't know that the Jesus you see in the Bible acts as if that would be the way it is. Ooh. Right. Damn, jumping bomb. Ooh, that's a, that's a Jesus <laughs> so, hot take, son. One hundred percent. At least yeah. you know from what I see. Again, I didn't write the book. So <laughs> you didn't. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, but. If you look at the actions of the person in the character in the Bible, I don't know that necessarily all the inclusion he has, all the love he teaches, everything like that. I don't know that you see that sort of inherent, you know, original sin, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And that's like hard line drawn where it's like, yeah. okay, this, this, this person that believes in Muhammad and identifies as Muslim, but when we talk about the way we think about God and that he prays and has a connection to a spiritual being that's bigger than us. I mean, it's the same thing. And I just can't imagine that whatever God I know and love is going to abandon this person to some kind of, you know, monstrous hell. Like I just don't, I just don't. She used to be cool with that. He'd be like, you're worshiping God. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. No, no, Vance, uh, as America First conservative podcast, <laughs> you're either with us or you're <laughs> against us. Oh, no. Okay, never um, mind. If you, don't, if you don't mind my somehow saying that and then asking a serious question immediately following it, I'm an awesome interviewer. Do you believe hell exists? E and Ashley, either one of you. Eric, you go first. Um, it's a good question. I think there is some form of eternal existence that is absent of God. So it, there is a potential for a, uh, you know, I, I don't even Whether know. or not that is the just straight up end. Is, is there, or are there two different. Like hell the way we think about it? I don't know. But I can't, I don't know. To me, there is some aspect of being, you know, whether or not it's how closely you are connected to God in the end or not. I'm not sure, but I think there is some way to where the your connection to God is, I don't want to say dependent on what you do on the earth, because it's not that. It's literally just your desire for it, and I think maybe that's part of it. So um, there is, there's potentially two different like a level next thing. steps. There there might be a good one and a bad one. I mean, just I know that's I'm 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 so yeah. See, I don't even know if I would say yeah, good and bad. Maybe just best, better, worse. You know, hmm. best, better, best. Yeah. But I don't know. You know, it's. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about. I was watching this TV show and they said in it. Um, they were talking about science and it's an Isaac Newton quote that says, "What we know is a droplet. What we don't know is an ocean." Yeah. Ooh, and it made me think that. of this right here as yeah. far as I think that's pretty much the way God works in our mind is whatever is next for us is not something I think we can conceive. And whatever is next for us is to me certainly has to do with some sort of God. Is And this, now we're just guessing and I'm just asking you to guess is whatever's next the end. Whatever's next, is that the last or is there a next next? You know, I don't know. I think anything is possible. I don't know that like the idea of reincarnation is all that far outside of the God you see in the Bible. I don't know that that's so far divorced from one another. So I'm not sure. Wow. God damn. I like, I like that. that. I like that. Bringing it back to like, um, like Jesus himself. Cause I feel like mm-hmm. that kind of gets lost now. Like if you just mm-hmm. bring it back to like who, like Jesus, like what Jesus taught, just look at the, you know, the chapters and the teachings of Jesus and just go off that. And you'd probably the poor hippie who loved everybody. Yeah. That mm-hmm. guy. You'd probably mm-hmm. find a more accepting, loving philosophy. Like you just described be like, 
that's that's kind of yeah and i will say obviously like that generous of a definition of all that is probably much easier to believe in than a hard-lined you know there is right and wrong heaven and hell that kind of thing and maybe that's part of why i feel that way but i don't know i don't know i I disagree i think it's actually a lot harder to to believe think so yeah because that's kind of like there's a lot of bad stuff in the bible um, yeah, that's true. Cherry pick that and and draw some negative conclusions. But if you focus on Jesus, like I don't think anybody's getting mad about Jesus. Yeah, and I think you know? there's a, there's yeah, like a point. typical biblical teaching too, right? Of the idea that like once Jesus comes, that's a whole new covenant, right? Mm-hmm. And that all the things that happened before were important, but they aren't necessarily part of what you are dealing with now. Yeah. So. Yeah. So actually, if you don't mind, it kind of so just just to, like just curious. Do you believe in potentially a heaven and a hell or at various levels of the next step or what are we all? I don't know if it's just convenient to say that I don't believe in a hell, but it just goes with what I said before. Like I just, God for me is like an all loving God. I mean, that's what's written in the Bible as well. And um, I think hell, so I do believe in an afterlife. I think that what that looks like exactly, I clearly have no idea, but I think that we, I can't imagine for a person of faith that we're all on this planet for X amount of years. And then, you know, you have a soul, you have a conscience, these things are developed, you give and receive love. And then that's just over after this. I I feel like there has got to be something after that, um, that, you know, goes to a higher consciousness, a higher, a higher level in some way. Um, I, don't really think so much about the idea of, of a hell existing. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm with you. I, I'm still, I'm somehow trying to wrap my mind around the fact that potentially nobody's wrong and that whatever, but I don't right. know how to make that. I don't know how to make that mesh or gel in my head because the four of us clearly have different points of view. Like I think something's coming, what that is. I have no idea, but I don't mm-hmm. know the idea of an eternal judgment. I think the idea of judgment is, is such a Westernized fabric. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, do you think part of that has to do with the way we talk about absolute truths within religion? Mm-hmm. Probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like there is no room for anything but this in religion. And it makes sense, honestly, if you're thinking about the fact that the idea is to devote your life fully to something, the idea that you could devote your life fully to something and it could be not the thing you have to do. Mm -hmm. It's scary. Or the idea idea of God itself, that's a very absolute thing. Like you have to believe, you have to start with that. Like that's a very, very definite line. And it gets extended through all these other things that people try to talk about. But yeah, that's actually a good point, Derek. I never thought about it like that. Nah, E, this is that. Yeah, man. I want you behind a pulpit. I wish more people <laughs> were pushing what you're pushing. I don't right? church, so. The way you sell it is so much better than the way I've heard it put out there before. They exist but, out uh, there. You just got to find them. Yeah, no. Yeah, I don't want to. I'm lazy. I hear you. <laughs> That's okay. This is the last thing. I'll end on this. Um, this might be controversial, so you don't even have to answer if you don't want to. I genuinely believe, and I'm at least starting to believe, that religion should not, in the same way that you can't have children in a bar or in a strip club, I genuinely believe you shouldn't be allowed to take kids to church. I might be, mm-hmm. I might be offending people as they listen to that, and I, I'm sorry if so, but I genuinely believe that. Um, does anybody agree or disagree with me? And we can kind of end on this if you would like Joe, I might disagree with you. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Like, okay, people are irresponsible for the way that they expose children to religion, but you can't tell them (laughs) 
you can't expose them to religion, right? Like people have a brain, man. I was I was exposed to religion hardcore, and I'm not religious anymore. So yeah, I agree. Like it's very harmful, but like I don't think I, I, I wouldn't go that far. I don't know that it's intrinsically any worse than any other sort of ideological thought process or belief or anything that you expose your kids to in general, right? Like, you know, even exposing your kids to the fact that, oh, hey, we voted for Democrat or Republican, like even that could have some sort of effect. Maybe it's not as long lasting and maybe it doesn't have the worldwide scale that religion does. But I don't know that you can automatically say that this thing is not good for kids when I would contend that there is something useful about having a structure, just an idea and a belief system to teach kids how to believe in something, even if it's not the thing they ultimately end up believing. I would agree with that. so good at this. <laughs> That's, yeah. Taking the words out of my mouth, I think Grant mentioned on the last one too, I love that he used um, the word operating system as mm. this, you know, so you, I totally get where you're coming from, Joe. Saying like, you know, you don't want to pre-program a child. You want to give them the space to kind of maybe figure that out for themselves. And I think that's, you know, there's a lot of good in that. But um, yeah, he nailed it. I mean, I think we are physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual beings. And so having that kind of awakened in you from a young age and and put in a structured way um, helps you to explore that, whatever it ends up being later on in life. So. But I, I, I get the trepidation though, Joe, because like you're – this is a very – this is literally the most pervasive thing that you could introduce into someone's life. But does that, that mm -hmm. go back to the absolute though, right? Like doesn't that yeah. go back to the idea that this is yes. the only thing? Yes. So like, you is can, that part of it? You can the fear and trepidation? Yeah. I think so, and I think you can use it for good and you can use it for evil. But You can do that with anything, right? That's the yes. thing about that. My, mm -hmm. my belief personally is that like I think – that it's throughout the history of this world. I think we've seen that it's been used for ill rather than good. Um, but it's, but it's been used I think the things that are historically rec recorded are probably true with that, but I don't know that you can measure the day-to-day -day yeah. impact. Well, there's, plenty of yeah. there's plenty of religious you know, food. But I understand food. what you're saying. Like but The yeah. ultimate worst things that have happened in our history – Mm -hmm. are generally tied to religion, right? Well, so. it, it's more like it separates your it separates your morality, your actual morality from yourself as a human and puts it in the hands of so, a okay. yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. that's a very good point. Yeah. And, and for a kid that's a little dangerous, right? But if you do it responsibly, like and you're a responsible person, but we know in America people are not responsible. <laughs> Right, like it's true. It is so true. Maybe this should be an American thing, Joe. Maybe like Americans are allowed to, or like certain states. We're just like a bad parent, Mississippi. <laughs> you are not allowed to bring children into the into the church. But you know what? New York is good to go. Maybe that's how we should do it. I don't know. But I think um, back on the, I ha I had a friend like Vance. I'm curious to ask you. Do you feel like you're you know, non-belief now is because of a lot of past experience that you just like fraught with bad experiences that turned you off to it because there's a whole, I mean, there, this is not anything new. Obviously there's the conversation between religion and spirituality. And even what Grant was saying also is 
kind of like a collective consciousness. And if you take out so much of the technicalities of what it requires, you know, what you think it requires to be a religious or spiritual person and just kind of like listen to your own inner thoughts and realize that that could be God and not be so scared of, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's a great question. Actually, no one's ever asked me that question. That's a great of what, question. Of whether or not, yeah, whether or not it's based on my past and no, nothing that I encountered other than like the stuff we've all encountered with like right. hypocrisy and stuff like that. But I mean, come on, that's with everything, but no, nothing like specifically negative that I encountered. Um, it just like, it, it just, it's not, I just can't do it. I wish I could. Or she could. I think because I think religion does turn off a lot of people to just even believing in anything. And I think about it because I have um, a friend who's very, you know, I'm very close with now. I met her six years ago and she, just to your point, Joe, she was not raised in any, she did not have any kind of religious background whatsoever for, at any age. So when I met her six years ago, she was a self-described atheist slash maybe more agnostic, but I think she would even use the word atheist. And um, she's a full blown spiritual God believer talks about it all the time. And it was a slow progression. Um, but I kind of just over time tried to talk to her about not, not overthinking it so much and just relying on that feeling more. And every time you lay your head down and you think about your day and, what went well and what didn't and your feelings of how you want to change or fix that, that, that is prayer really, you know, and not like self categorizing like, Oh, I did this religious thing by sitting in a church and praying. It doesn't have to be like that. Your, your own inner dialogue, I believe is a spiritual experience that, you know, is a part of your everyday life. And um, that sort of resonated with her and that she actually had a, I mean, she had feels like she had an experience where, God like actually did really speak to her. Um, so, you know, obviously that, that was a Ooh. huge pivotal moment that changed her around, but <laughs> I um, love that. Yeah. But it, it's just, it's, it's an amazing thing to see over time and where she is today. And so yeah, there's hope for you yet, Vance LeBourgeois. Oh man. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. It is not going to happen. <laughs> the, the cliche, you know, you're not supposed to talk, you know, everybody, you're not supposed to talk politics. You're not supposed to talk religion or whatever. I, I actually think we should more often. I think we would all become better at it, but it, for generally, genuinely, y'all are, thank you for doing like this. The fact that these conversations are happening, we've done this now four or five times. Yet, like, and nobody gets mad. Everybody's just respectful. Like, I think the more it becomes a, 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 a just a basic topic, as opposed to this, like this weird taboo or whatever. I, I, I think we all end up realizing that we believe real close to what it's like, you know, nobody believes hate the other guy. You know what I mean? Like, I think everybody kind of thinks the same way, even if it is sliced up differently. Totally. Yeah. Love it. Also, it's the longest podcast, huh? Yeah. And well, not the one, Vance. Remember the one about video games where we got trashed and just started talking for about two and a half hours? <laughs> Yeah. I hope that Vance, you got to bring back the thing where you asked Joe things he doesn't know about from pop culture. Yeah, oh, yeah. pop I culture questions. I'm not going to get I anything. I, if it's not about Frozen, I'm out. But uh, I'll bring that back next. That requires preparation. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're asking maybe, a lot. Maybe yeah. I'll help you out. How about that? Not into that at all. <laughs> yeah. Y'all, this has been uh, this has been awesome. Actually, thank you so much, dude. This has been great. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's such a, so much fun. Absolutely. Let's uh, let's do it again sometime. If anybody made it an hour and forty eight minutes in, uh, oh, appreciate, appreciate you. <laughs> See y'all next time. <laughs>